Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. All right, good morning, everybody. Let's get Instagram going here. Beautiful Saturday morning back here in Minnesota. All right, we got Ask a Painter Live going on on Instagram. We got it going on Facebook. Uh, God, it's going to be a good day today. Um, this is one of my um, most popular shows of the year, typically. And uh, before we get going, as always, I'm just going to make sure that we have some good audio and video here. We're still dealing with some internet issues. So um, although the uh, video might be a little grainy for this one, the audio will be good. All right, there we go. There we go. We got that going there. All right, let me just quick do a little traffic cop in here, make sure the feed is going where it needs to be. All right. All right, here we go. Okay, post a question in there. Man, everybody's rip-roaring ready to go. We got a whole bunch of people watching already. Give me one second here. Do, 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 do. All right. All right, I think we're good to go, everybody. So like I said, we're dealing with some, <laughs> some internet issues. Uh, have no fear, uh, we, we will get them fixed. I always do, I'm a problem solver, but for now, you, the screen share might be a little grainy, but at the end of this, I have my email address in the show notes and in here. And if you guys email me, I will give you one of the uh, most foundational bits of uh, template resource that I can give you, which is a job costing template. Again, folks, you're looking at the title of this show. You're looking at this topic and you're thinking, sweet Jesus, really? Like, could you, could you get a more boring topic? We're already giving up a Saturday morning. Hang tight, folks. Arguably, this is the most important thing about running a paint business, as important as actually knowing how to paint. These two things, knowing how to paint and job costing, should, be, should have equal importance in your mind. And I am going to deep dive into a treatise to tell you exactly why here. So uh, before we get going, housekeeping stuff, the expo is this week. Uh, I am leaving Sunday. Uh, we have a board meeting Monday. We have a paint it forward charity event Tuesday, and then the full expo gets going Wednesday through Friday. I am going to see some of the greatest people in the industry. Some of my best friends in the industry there. I cannot wait uh, to see all you guys. So um, this is going to be a record-breaking expo. Uh, we actually ran out of room for a bunch of stuff for vendors, for people, for hotels and things like that. That's how important this expo is we have been setting new records every year going here we've seen more and more people new people at every one i am grateful for the time and the money it takes to get you guys there it is a lot it is it is a big undertaking i know that but you will walk away a changed human uh drinking from the fire hose is what everyone says so also guys we are rounding out the expo or excuse me the master's class calendar for the year 
so um, uh, we we already have maybe four on the books, circling around another couple more. Uh, uh, it's going to be a great year. Once we get them uh, formally on the calendar, I'll start announcing them here. But otherwise, if you want one of these, I actually have a master's class, a four-hour treatise on benchmarking and job costing. We can do in person with you for a whole day in your area. You contact me, you contact the PCA, and we will get that rolling for you. Because I would love to do this, not in an hour virtually. I would love to do this in a half day, a full day thing with you where we can actually job cost some of your projects. It, it would be an awesome thing to do. Uh, also, if you like any of this stuff, the Business Accelerator through the PCA is basically the boot camp that takes all my steps to professionalism, uh, all the learnings from Jason, the guys at Olive Holdings, things like that. We condense it down into uh, um, a learning management system with quizzes. You get 10 to 15 people in your cohort. You do it together. You hold each other accountable. And it's all of this stuff, but an actual coaching portion here. So, oh my God, you guys are rolling in with all the comments and everything already. I love this. So, all right, seeing some uh, lots of familiar names. Oh man, here we go. All right, folks, we're just going to jump into this stuff here because uh, if you guys have been following uh, me for this last week, I am a road dog uh, right now. So um, this last week I was in North Carolina. I took my gold team, uh, two of my master crafts people, and we painted an entire beach house down there. And it was an it was a great time. I uh, got to collaborate with some master crafts people from California as well. I spent some time on the beach, as you do, and we're back. And yesterday, uh, my wife and I crossed pads. I came home. She took my oldest daughter to the state dance competition. Go Nugget. We're all rooting for you. And then uh, today I woke up with the kids. We got everybody going. We got some sick little ones. We're kind of nursing around at home. Uh, I'll do Ask a Painter. Uh, I'll get down some business. We got some banking to do and things. And then I'm bringing my kids up to see our daughter dance in the state dance competition. Uh, coming home and then Sunday morning, I fly out for Albuquerque, New Mexico with my buddy Jason Paris. We are going to be a couple of road dogs and we are going down to New Mexico early because we have official duties uh, down there. Not only a board meeting, but you know, he is the chair of the board. I am the vice chair and we got to make sure that this thing is a success in collaboration with the PCA uh, uh, people on the ground. So we're going to be there getting ready for you guys to see you next week. Interesting thing, I've not brought this up yet, but in a few short weeks, uh, I am actually going to Abu Dhabi. Uh, more to follow, but uh, my good friend uh, uh, from Brazil, Ronnie, is actually coaching a world skills team. This is the Trades Olympics uh, in, in the United Arab Emirates, and uh, he is coaching a team down there. And him and the country invited me as a guest coach and sort of like rooter of the team. So I'm going to Abu Dhabi soon. Uh, lot it's going to be great uh lots more to follow on that uh follow along on social media uh i am a house painter from minnesota i i did not think that ask a painter and the pca and things like this would connect all this but it is a wild world out there everybody uh this little freedom machine is certainly kicking out some extra freedom this year so it's going to be a lot of fun now enough of all that stuff i know why you guys are here we're seven minutes in let's talk about job costing all right so here's the deal folks Job costing, uh, and I'm going to show you here. This is my job costing template. I'm going to give this to you at the end of it. You email me. It's all in the show notes here. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, here's the deal, folks. Yes, this is a spreadsheet. It's got some colors on it. It looks real fancy. This is addition, multiplication, subtraction, division, things like that. Job costing is arguably the most important thing you can do. When I'm looking at the people I see on Instagram and on Facebook right now, 
and the other people who follow Ask a Painter and members of the PCA, it is arguably that we are way better painters than we are business owners. Right? When you look at the industry as a whole, if you want to be in the top 1% of this entire industry, if you start job costing and do it every day for every job, arguably that will put you in the top 1% of the entire industry, just like that. This is not something that just painters do or tradespeople do. This is something that every single business does. It's tracking inputs to see if you can hit a benchmark to make sure you're making money. It is it is so important. I cannot tell you guys how important it is. It has literally changed my life. It puts data to all the crazy feelings that we have. So let's jump in here, folks, and let's get going with mastering the basics. So who here? <laughs> I love I love using all the Facebook painter groups as sort of a bellwether or a canary in the coal mine for the industry. So this is something that I've coined the December February paradox. So in December, typically what you'll find is that people are posting in December, holy cow, we had a banner year, crushing it, killing it, 10x baby. I don't know what to do with all my time and money. It is just wild. I have solved this painting business thing. Uh, I'm going to be a business coach. We're going to crush it, take over the world. Then February rolls around. And then there's a whole bunch of sad faces. Oh my God, I need a tax accountant. What is this? Uh, there's no money left. Uh, how do you hire people? Ah, everything's crazy. What, what's going on? Here's the problem, folks. The December part of the paradox is a feelings-based thing. You finish off a good year. You've done lots of work. There seems to be money in the bank. So evidently we are killing it, crushing it, slaying, whatever the kids say nowadays. The problem is uh, none of these people job cost. None of these people actually track any of the labor or materials. Uh, their form of job costing is taking a shoebox full of receipts to a tax accountant in February and then finding out they didn't make any money. Now, what I will tell you this, there are many forms of accounting. Job costing is a thing called managerial accounting. That's for internal things to make sure that you're hitting benchmarks, your KPIs are being tracked, things like that. Taxes are not managerial accounting. Taxes are not job costing. Taxes are actually a very poor form of figuring out if you actually made money because there are no crazy child tax deductions in your business, right? Computing your income or your income tax that has to be paid to the state, local, and federal government is not a sign if you're actually making money on your business. Typically, what we like to do is make as much profit as possible and then height as much, of, not height, sorry, that's not the right word expose ourselves to the least amount of taxes as possible because we don't want to pay any more taxes than we have to, right? We want to be good citizens, but also we don't want to get raked over the coals and lose all that hard-earned reward that we got. So what typically people do is when they do their taxes, they realize that there's not a lot of money there. Uh, and in fact, they're running a hobby or they're even running at a loss, which the IRS classifies specifically. So what you want to do here, um, Keep an eye on this, folks, right? You will not have this December, January, or December, February paradox. If you job cost, you will know every week whether you should be happy face, crazy emoji, or a sad emoji like that. So uh, next one. So this is all about data plus feelings. You guys know that this is, this is what I live for, right? So you can feel like you're crushing it, right? You can have happy clients. You can keep people employed. You can be doing world-class finishes. You can be booked out a ways. You can even have some money in the bank. And that is what most people judge their business on. The problem is, if all those things are true, you may still not be making any money. 
especially when you start expanding your business. So job costing is very important. I don't want you to think that this is just for the olive holdings, uh, the big boys, right? The, the, the Nick Slavics of the world who have employees and shops and vans and things like this. Arguably, you could double your take home pay if you start job costing because you're tracking your own labor, even as a single person painting company. In this war room right here, during the time of COVID, when it was illegal for us to get together uh, for master's classes and things like that, um, I invited a handpicked group of people, 10, 12 people. We all sat here and we did a special one-off job costing master's class where we all agreed to bring in three to five of our jobs. We ran them through this template that I'm going to show you. Every single person around the table, including myself, was we're the best, we're the most expensive, we're booked out a year at a time, this and that, and we're just crushing it. We're killing it. We can't possibly increase our prices. When we actually job costed everybody's work, everybody's making 20 bucks an hour because you're not accounting for your own labor. People hyper fixate on materials because that's a thing. It's a known cost and you have to pay it. Most people lose in business and go out of business because they don't track their own labor because you don't have to pay yourself a paycheck when you're small, things like that. So, all right. Like I said, I don't want to get spicy. I don't want to push back on the industry, but every single person that I talk to who does not job cost says these things. I'm the best. I'm the most expensive. I'm booked out a year. This is the greatest thing ever. By the laws of economics, if you are booked out a year, you are underpricing your work or you could be even giving it away, right? It's not how far you're booked out. It's not even what you charge or estimate. It's what you actually produce. So when we're on the painter Facebooks and people are saying, I sold a million dollars in January this year, the next question I would have would be, wow, that's incredible. What did you produce? And the production number is actually a lot less than that, typically. Easy to sell jobs, not easy to produce them. So here's the thing, feelings up above in blue, I'm the most, I'm the best, I'm the most expensive, I'm booked out a year. I would not be so proud of those. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, here's the problem, prove it. Are you the best? Are you the most expensive? How do you come up with that? Just because you think your price is expensive, that doesn't mean you're the most expensive. It's likely based on our industry statistics right here that I'm pointing to that you're not the most expensive. In fact, you're probably underpriced, right? The average painting company is 1.5 people in the United States. The average painting company goes out of business every 1.5 years. The average paint business owner takes home $43,000 a year. So if you say you're the most expensive, $43,000 is on average what you're taking home. Now, you might be taking home more than that, okay? That's fine, but $43,000 a year is $21.5 an hour. That's what the average paint business owner takes home every year. That is not enough. That is not okay for the value we bring. So data plus feelings, folks. What is job costing? You're tracking material and labor for each job. This is the foundational data in any business in the United States. Google does this. Microsoft does this. Uh, Quick Trip gas stations does this. Every grocery store does this. In fact, this is the thing that you track the closest because if this slips, you lose your business. It's critical for solving all these problems. So this is the greatest thing about job costing. This is not a simple thing about paint cans and humans in your business. This is this answers all the existential questions. You can use this math problem, this template, for answering all the existential questions ever, which is, am I even making money? You may think you know the answer to this. You are probably wrong. This is a harder question to answer than you think. Estimating, what do you charge for X? This will solve forever the question, what do you charge for X? If you produce a job 
you track material and labor, you run it through my template, you can mess with the numbers to actually show you if you didn't perform well, what to do, increase the price, make your labor more efficient, use different materials, things like that. This is the secret to what do you charge for X. Uh, scheduling, this will actually help you with scheduling. Those are the biggest friction points, right? Like, um, how do we, what do you charge for X? How do you schedule jobs? This will actually tell you how to do that. This is the greatest aid in that. And also, if you ever want compensation plans that actually incentivize humans to do good work, painters, project managers, estimators, coordinators, managers, things like that, uh, this will actually help you figure out compensation plans where it incentivizes people to add to the profit of the company. So this is a grit thing. This is not a technology thing, right? I don't know of any software app that will do this for you. They may have a template, but they don't physically track the paint cans and the humans. Those are inputs that you need to put in. Now you can automate a little bit of that, but it still originates with a human. This at a minimum, you must do this after every job is complete and you must review it weekly. You cannot do this monthly. You cannot do this quarterly. You certainly can't do this yearly. In my company, the second a job is done, we job cost it. And then every week we aggregate all the job costing and we review it to start looking for uh, anomalies, uh, pattern detection, things like that. Let me check just IG here. Oh, love it. Fred, thanks for the comment on Instagram. Okay. I, I get so many questions about job costing. Job costing does not take into account overhead. All right, people? It does not take into account overhead. Job costing in, you can see up above here, in accountancy, there are a couple different kinds of costs that go into business. There are variable costs and there are fixed costs, right? Variable costs are costs you only incur when you do a job. Think, I don't have to buy paint. I don't have to pay my humans if we don't have work. There are things below the line, below gross profit, that are called fixed costs. Fixed costs are your vehicles, your insurance, uh, your licenses, your shop, um, things like that, where you incur those costs no matter what. Now, here's the thing, people. The way in my company we estimate, when we estimate a price, that has to be the price that funds all the variable costs and all the fixed costs. People always ask, well, Nick, when you say you charge this for that, does that include overhead? Yes, it has to. It has to. The, 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 the price that you charge, the thing that the act, you actually put on the estimate, you write an invoice for, and the client writes a check for you, that has to include everything. You have to pay for the entire fixed and variable cost of the business through there. Do not parse that out yet, but I want you to understand this is above the line, above gross profit things that we're going to be doing in job costing. So what you're not going to see in my job costing template is vans. You, what you're not going to see is a shop. What you're not going to see is uniforms. That is all overhead and fixed cost things. We are only tracking the variable costs, the inputs that go into a job so that we can generate revenue, right? The things directly attached to that job. Basically, this is um, this is figuring out how much expense does it take to, to make a dollar of revenue in my company? And we're gonna go over some simple benchmarks later on here. All right, so how to job cost? Number one, materials. All right, so here's the deal. Um, you want to collect materials for each job, but you guys know me, right? Simplicity, don't let perfect stand in the way of really good. I do not track sundries, right? I don't weigh out a tub of patch and then weigh it at the end of the job and then apportion a cost for that. I don't measure the inches of tape that we do for a job, okay? So you can do this if you want, but what I do 
is uh, is just assume, and I've tracked this in the past. It's not that I've never tracked this. We've tracked it. It's immaterial, right? Immaterial is a counting term that says it's not going to affect the outcome of your decisions if you don't track it. So uh, sundries, including brushes, rollers, tape, patch, pans, all plastic, all those other things is way less than 1% of my annual revenue. And it takes an, an, an immense amount of time and human effort to track it. And it's inaccurate. So we don't track it. So uh, what we do is we, we uh, when we do track materials, though, we're talking about paint. That's a big one. So for each job, this is a huge mistake that people make. People think that if, uh, if a retail price of duration is $78.99 and you pay $53.99, they record the cost of materials as $53.99. That is inaccurate because go to Sherwin-Williams, ring out a gallon of duration. It's not $53.99. There's tax. And in my state, there's a thing called paint care, which is a disposal tax that you need to take into account the ecosystem. Of, of cost there. So when we uh, when we have our when we job cost, we have a drop down menu for all our prices that references the name of the paint. We include everything. If you walked into a Benjamin Moore store and you wrung out a gallon of uh, Scuff X, one gallon, whatever it is on that bottom, not the shelf price, discount price, the pro the price in the end that's on that invoice is what you put in there because that's your actual cost for it. It's very important to track all that stuff. So we have a master list of all the materials we use and we update them quarterly based on price increases, our negotiated lower price, discounts, all those things like that. And again, as always, folks, any questions you have about any of this stuff, let me know. Uh, my email address will be in the show notes here. I'm going to actually give you this template. You can walk through it and type in stuff like this. It's got beautiful conditional formatting. And of course, any questions you have about any of this stuff, uh, let's do this. Uh, da, 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 da. Scott McDowell, when you started job costing, what was the biggest eye opener that caused action or adjustment in your business? It, yes, uh, you will have you will have the same epiphany I did. I had a come to Jesus moment at this room many times. <coughs> I'm the best. I'm killing it. I'm making tons of money. I'm booked out a year. I'm the most expensive. And it turns out none of that stuff is true. I'm making 20 bucks an hour. Here's the biggest problem. Right now, if we're all being honest with each other, uh, I will give you an example and you tell me how close to home this hits. Early on in my painting business, you know, 14, 13 years ago when I was a single owner operator, I was putting a hundred grand in my pocket every year. And I thought I have got this thing licked. This is great. Here's why you should not be proud of making a hundred thousand dollars the way I did in your first couple years of business, because I was working a hundred hours a week. So uh, simple math here. I don't have my thing up, but basically if you work hundred hours a week for 50 weeks a year, that's 5,000 hours a year, uh, divide hundred thousand dollars of profit uh, of take-home pay by 5,000. Was that 20 bucks an hour? I was literally making $20 an hour. You, your aggregate, you, the money you take home may be a lot, but if you actually account for your own time, you realize you are wasting your life doing this. You should have made $60 an hour for 40 hours a week, something like that, right? <clears throat> that was the biggest epiphany for me, that once you actually account for your time, you don't care at all about materials anymore. We fixate on materials because it's a price that is we have to come into contact with. We see it on the shelf. We have to pay it. So we we uh, we demonize Benjamin Moore, PPG, Bear, Sherwin, because, oh, the price increases this and that. It is such a small portion of our revenue. It should be 15% or less of every single job and every single dollar that we make in our business. Our labor takes up at least 40%, and in most painting companies, 40 to 60%. So people hyperfixate on materials. They don't even account for their own labor. 
if you job cost, you look at that labor number and you say, I've wasted my life worrying about a gallon of paint. I should only be interested in my labor and the labors of those in my company. Awesome question, by the way. Oh, Mr. Micah, uh, comment for the group. Once you plan for job costing in place and happens, do a monthly review of each job that's produced. See the margin on East sales and production should look at every number under your, yeah, dude, absolutely, man. That is, uh, we, we, we look at this all together as a team every Monday uh, to look for anomalies, both with humans, materials, and labor, things like that. Do, 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 do you have any percentage you use for uh, business savings or like an emergency fund? Yes, uh, this is something that I've been trying to um, uh, put down on paper here. Uh, typically, what I try to do is have, I'm trying to think how to, how to best uh, say this. So uh, for my business, um, I'm thinking about 3% of all your revenue might be a good one saved in actual cash business account. The other way to do it is base it on expense. So I would like to have two months of uh, operating expenses uh, saved in cash just in case. Um, so you calculate all the costs of your business every week. You times that by eight weeks and I would have a cushion of cash like that. I mean, that would be the minimum. I would also back it up with company credit cards, a line of credit, you know, all those other sort of things like that. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like that question. All right, moving on people labor. This is the big one here. Um, if this is all that people did, honestly, you could make the argument that we could turn this entire industry around if people job costed and track their own labor. Everybody would have a come to Jesus moment and they would change the way they think about their business. They would change the way they paint. They would actually make more money and stay in business longer. So now there's a huge landmine in accounting for labor in job costing. So <clears throat> this is basically a list of the people, the wages and how many hours. Now, here's the thing, folks. Oops, let's go back. Go back, go back. Sorry, folks. One too many clicks. All right. There's something called burden that will ruin your life if you don't account for it. So here's the thinking. I hire somebody for $20 an hour, right? And you, in job costing, say, well, the cost of that labor is $20. It is not $20, folks. All right. In, in my state, when we calculate this stuff, we take into account FICA, medical, FICA, social security, FUTA, SUDA. I do not put in federal income tax or state income tax, accountancy reasons, things like that. But with all those in there, your labor actually costs you about 25% more than you're paying the person. So if you think about it, if it's a $10 an hour employee, it costs you $12.50 to employ them. If it's a $20 employee, it costs you $25 to employ them. If you don't take into account this, you will be 25% off on your labor, one of your biz biggest expenses uh, in your annual revenue. So you have to account for labor. Now, here's the thing. You can say, well, Nick, is it always 25%? And here's the deal. In my state, when I calculate this, I did it for three years. It was 25% plus or minus 1%, and it would fluctuate every single week based on payroll. I couldn't tell you the intricacies of how that stuff works. I went to college for accounting. I knew enough to hire a bookkeeper, a tax accountant, and a financial planner. All right. But here's the deal. When I track it, it's plus or minus 25%, 1% every week for three years. So here's what I did. Don't let perfection stand in the way of really good. I automatically add 25% into my job costing. And it is inputted into this template. Now, what you might want to do is track it for one quarter, two quarters to see if there's any state or local fluctuations in your area. But 
I use 25% to give you that accurate thing. If you don't, your, your uh, variable cost will be off 25% and you'll make bad decisions. You'll be sitting there saying, I'm killing it, I'm killing it, and you are not killing it. You're 25% off on one of your big, biggest expenses. So, all right, revenue per hour. So how do you, how do you job, judge job success? A very, very quick and dirty, and I would say kind of inaccurate on a whole, um, way of assessing uh, job success is revenue per hour. It's got one huge uh, um, fatal flaw in it. Uh, basically, how you calculate revenue per hour is you take your revenue, divide it by your hours, and that's how much revenue per hour you take into account. Now, what it doesn't take into account is the materials in there. Sometimes you have a job with very small materials. Sometimes you have a job with large materials. It can be swayed. It doesn't necessarily say if you hit a certain revenue per hour doesn't mean that you actually got money on that job. The goal, I would argue, in our industry at this point for residential repaint should be at least $75 an hour of production, people, not what you charge. What you charge is way different than what you produce. When anybody says, what's the going charge rate for something, I will say, who gives a shit? <laughs> what's, the, what's the going production rate for something? You can charge whatever you want, right? You can charge $10,000 an hour, but... If in the end you work for a thousand hours and the person only pays you a thousand, you just made a dollar an hour. It does. You can say whatever you want is a charge rate. It matters what your production rate is. Okay. This is quick and easy. Now the fatal flaws, it's not accurate for the hourly rate of employees. So here's, here's kind of the inner machinations of this. Two employees, two apprentices being paid $15 an hour can produce a thousand dollars of revenue for a certain amount of hours. The argument would then would be, well, hey, listen, let's get two master crafts people on that. Now they're making $25 an hour each. They can do it in less hours. But when you take into account that time, it doesn't tell you what the labor cost is. It tells you what the humans produced per hour there. It doesn't tell you what it costs per hour to then produce that stuff. So uh, what I find here is the, um, uh, the, inner, the inner machinations of this job costing thing feelings would be put some put a whole bunch of people who know what they're doing on it and uh, a lot of the times the more people you stack like that the less profit you actually make you can still make the same amount of revenue but it costs way more to produce it so another thing what you do is uh what i found is that when you take one apprentice two apprentices put them on a job they may actually go slower make it take them more hours but that cost per hour a variable cost to produce that revenue is actually less and and, and putting People who, who pay less but can still do the standard work can sometimes be a more profitable project in that if they produce equivalent to a master craftsperson. So I just want you to know that you can do this and we calculate this. It, it is an interesting thing for me. I track it and I track the trends, but it's not, it doesn't tell you if you're profitable or not on the outset. All right. This is more interesting to me. Uh, uh, gross profit. This is the industry standard by which almost all painting companies are judged and you should judge it for yourself as well too. Gross profit, you basically take 100% of your profit, or excuse me, your revenue. You add up your labor and material costs together like that, the percentages. You minus that from 100%, your revenue, and you get gross profit. So that the standard um, industry benchmarks are, you know, if you want to get your labor to 40% and your materials to 15%, not to exceed either one of those, basically you have 100%, which is your revenue. You minus out 40%, you minus out another 15% for materials, and that'll leave you with 45% of money left over to run the rest of your business. That is called gross profit. Then you take your fixed costs off, your overhead, your owner's pay, um, salaried employees, things like that. And then you get net profit. But 
very careful with what I said there. Owner's pay has to be taken out before net profit. If you pay for paint, pay for labor, pay for overhead, and, and that little pool of money that sits down there uh, left over, that is not profit if you haven't paid yourself. So when you start comparing net profit from one painting company to a next, the first question that comes out of an informed business owner mind is, where is owner's pay? Is it above net profit or are you including that in net profit? Most of the time people will say, hey, uh, I'm a single owner operator. I had $60,000 of profit this year. And I will say, well, what did you pay yourself? They'll say, well, I didn't, but that's the profit. I'll say, well, <laughs> if you had $60,000 left over, you just made yourself a $30 an hour job. That is not profit. That's your pay. There is no profit in your company because if you weren't there, you would have had to pay somebody of your caliber at least $30 an hour, maybe even more. If you paid yourself 60 and had 60 left over, then you could say, well, owner's pay is above net profit. It's in overhead. I paid myself a salary of 60 and there was still 60,000 left over. That 60,000 left over is net profit. So gross profit is the money you have after variable expenses. Net profit is the money you have after variable and fixed costs, including owner's pay. That is the way we compare all companies, not just painting companies. So uh, this is the most accurate way to judge a company. Um, this number is going to fluctuate a little bit based on company size. If you're a single owner operator, these numbers might be tweaked. The labor and material percentage might be off a little bit, but if you account for your own labor, typically I will put in at least 30 bucks an hour for my time if I'm ever painting on a job, just because you have to account for it somehow. You don't know, it's just a, you're not actually writing yourself a W-2 check mostly, although I am. Um, but yeah, uh, it can be higher or lower based on company size. But if you ever want to have employees, you need to start fixating on that number of 15% material, 40% labor, 45% gross profit, 15% net profit at the end. Okay, solving problems with job costing. This is the this is the fun stuff. So the problem, I'm not making any money or I feel like I'm not making any money. Okay, so we have materials above 15%. You're not accurately estimating materials and waste. Now, here's the deal, folks. Most people will immediately go to materials. I need to use a cheaper paint. I need to get more spread rate. I need to do this and that. I will tell you right now, if you are not making money, it is very unlikely that it is with materials. It is very likely that it is all labor. I would never go to materials first, although the way to solve problems in this would be fix the materials, fix the labor. I would say do a little bit of both. You wanna negotiate well with your vendors, you want to get good prices on stuff. You don't want to be wasteful. You want to buy premium products, things like that. But also, uh, I, I think people fixate way too much on this. So now if your labor's above 40%, immediately people say, well, I need to charge more for this job. And I would say, whoa, 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 not so fast. How about making your people more efficient or turning out a better product, things like that. Now you can hyper fixate on one of those. I would say tackle everything, raise your prices, get your people most efficient, negotiate good material prices, don't waste materials, things like that. But remember, when I look into the job costing of a, of a lot of other companies in the United States, here is where I would focus first. I would look at, <laughs> I would look at your labor number one. If you don't have a standard operating procedure, if you don't have a job description, if you don't have a pay scale, that's competency-based, based on these job descriptions, and things like that, and your SOPs, and you don't have an accountability method for your painters, the last thing you should look at is materials. The next to last thing you should look at is the price of the job. What you need to do is get those things in place. One week ago, I did, a, I did an entire show on 
job description, employee resource guide, the employee manual, um, the comp competency-based pay scale, a review process. The reason I did this show before this one is because in order to job cost correctly and actually make informed decisions, you need all that stuff in place. You have to have that in place because if you train your people to a standard, then you know you, you don't have to, you, you remove one variable from this thing. You remove the thing that people do it in non-standard ways all over the place. We fixate on materials. We fixate on the price of the job. If you don't have any of that stuff, I would only work on standardizing your processes, training your people, incentivize them, and reviewing them on that so that that is a standardized thing in your business. But what you can do uh, when you find out you're not making money on job costing, uh, I would focus on all three. But honestly, you know where it is. You or your people need to paint better and faster into a standardized process. Number one, right? It's easy to attack Sherwin and Benjamin Moore for the price of their paint because it takes the onus off of us. This is our problem. It's 99% of the time labor and it's 99% of the time us holding labor accountable. All right. Am I estimating the correct price? That's the next thing too. You can actually start zeroing in on what do you charge for X? The, the proverbial magical question of all questions that every single painter asks and that we on the internet, not me, uh, most other people, when somebody says, what do you charge for X? We say, oh, you hack. I would say, I would push back. You probably don't know what to charge either. If you haven't job costed, you probably can't give that person any advice either. We just call that person a hack because we're deflecting from ourselves. That's me getting spicy with all the rest of you, right? So if your GP gross profit is consistently lower than 45, are you pricing your work consistently? Are your people producing consistently? Are you booked out more than four to eight weeks? Are you closing more than 50% than of your estimates? Now here's, here's some benchmarks, right? Success ratio of sold estimates to not sold estimates is about 50% in the industry. Here's some data points for you. If you're not making money, or if you're not making enough money, I should I would argue that a single owner operator should make at least $80,000 a year running their business. A single owner operator painting in their business should make at least $80,000 a year. If you're booked out a year, you have underpriced your work. There might be exceptions to this. You're probably not it. The law of economic dictates of supply and demand, if there's a large supply of something or a cheap supply of something, people will take a lot of it. If in your business, somebody is willing to wait 18 months for you to paint their kitchen, you have priced yourself so low that they're just standing back and saying, of course, I'm willing to wait if they're charging that. I would argue that if you're any, if you're booked out any more than four to eight weeks, you're likely underpricing your work. Now, you can sit back and say, Nick, I couldn't possibly increase the price of my work. BS. BS. Add more value. Do better work. And I, I would challenge you. Try it. Because even if you're booked out eight weeks, the theory is if you increase your price somewhere between 20, 50, 70%, you're going to lose jobs potentially, right? That's the law of economics. If everything's even, you may go down to only four weeks of work, but all of that work is going to be twice as profitable as your other work, right? And if the average paint business makes $43,000 a year and we should be making $80,000 a year, that's a law of economics, folks. You may think you're the exception. I'm going to look you right in the face and say, it's likely you're not the exception right? Start job costing and you'll find out if that's true or not. That's a beautiful thing. So how do I schedule? How do I coach and develop my people? This is another thing too, right? Job costing just doesn't tell you how much paint you used on a job. You can solve all sorts of problems. How I think about job costing is we, we lay down the foundation of data collection in my business with job costing. 
We can parse that out however we want. We can organize it. We can look at it in different patterns. We can solve almost every problem that a business has with job costing. I can guarantee you that's a fact. If you think you have a problem that can't be solved with job costing, bring it to me. I bet you we can figure it out together. So project budgets. The first most basic way to hold your people accountable to job performance, quality of work, and everything else is to give them an hourly budget. So how do you do that? In my company, this is how we do it. We take revenue minus the estimated materials. We don't know how much paint we're going to use. Let's assume it's 15%, right? Because that's our benchmark. This is a predictive number. We don't know how much paint. We don't know how much labor. We know what we want to happen, but we have to give a painter a master craftsperson, an apprentice, some goal to hit before the job starts. So what we'll do is we'll take the revenue, let's just call it a $1,000 job, we'll minus out the materials because they don't get the budget for materials. That money needs to be set aside to pay for that. That's not for their labor. And then we divide by our revenue per hour goal. What do you want to create at the end? And that gives you an hourly budget for the project. So you look at my screen here, a $1,000 project will take out 15% for materials, right? Uh, 150 bucks. Uh, and then we'll divide that 850 by $75 an hour. That is our goal revenue per hour mark. It'll tell us how many hours, which is 11.3 hours. If this doesn't tell you what you have to do it in, this tells you if I want to make $75 of revenue an hour on this job, I will need to complete a thousand hour job in 11.3 hours if we keep materials to 15%. That's how you can uh, give your people goals. You can also incentivize their compensation plans based on that, which is, and X amount of jobs have to hit this hourly budget. Otherwise, you're not eligible for a raise. And in fact, if it falls below a thing, you may be in for a performance plan and then possibly losing your job. But that's how you give some data to the compensation plans. So how do I incentivize my people? This is great. So hourly employees, you advance based on the success of projects. Like I just said, you can basically tie this to, hey, listen, there's gross profit and there's a budget for this pro uh, for this. If you don't hit these budgets, you're not eligible for a raise. And if you perform low enough, you may lose your job, things like that. The cooler thing is when you get into salary plus bonus uh, level employees, uh, leadership team stuff. You have project managers, you have estimators, coordinators, you know, uh, operations managers, uh, things like that. You can actually create a bonus plan based on the gross profit of these projects. And I love this because it aligns the ascendance of the humans to the, to, the, to the goals of the company. So if the goal of a company is to have 45% gross profit and 15% net profit, and you, you can sometimes create a disaligned incentive for an estimator. Let's just say an estimator makes 5% of all the revenue they sell, but it's not tied to profitability. A poor operator in that role will go out there and fire sale all this work. You can't produce it profitably. They're getting paid handsomely. The company loses profit. What you want to do is get everybody rowing in the same direction in your boat, which is estimators and project managers in my company, they get bonus based on the profitability of the projects. So when we job cost, we, we have two buckets that uh, job costing jobs go into. We have ones that you can see the conditional formatting, the green that hit 45% or better, and then a, a, a column that goes 45% or worse. In my company, you get a percentage as an estimator or project manager on every job that is good gross profit, 45% or better. And that, that uh, percentage is negotiated by person, by job, by tenure, things like that. But that aligns people to fight for the gross profit of the jobs. One thing that companies do that I don't necessarily agree with, I'm open to the idea that I'm wrong, but they incentivize people on the net profit of the company. The problem is project managers and estimators, they really only have control over the variable cost, the material and labor of a project, and not the overhead. 
I am the only one in my company that makes overhead decisions. So here's the disaligned incentives, right? If you give your project managers and estimators a bonus based on the true net profit after all the expenses are paid in the company and you go out and buy a brand new Ford Super Duty for $92,000 that comes out of overhead, they would, they would have just cause to come to you and say, Nick, we controlled everything we could in our job position. We actually performed very, very well. We made all this money for the company and then you decided to buy something very luxurious for yourself and now there's no profit. Now we get no bonus. If they can't control it, that shouldn't be in their bonus system. But I know some companies that do that too. So, all right, things I've learned. Now to the lesson learned sort of stuff. You have to have accurate material and labor tracking. This can fluctuate as much as 30%. Now here's the problem. Uh, years and years ago in my company, um, job costing, sniff tested really well. I was like, wow, we're actually doing amazing on job costing, but the revenue or the profit from these jobs doesn't seem to be equivalent. Like the bank account doesn't reflect that. So pattern detection as the owners, we went back in there and I found out that I took a skim of our payroll. And then I looked at the hours reporting for job costing. And at one point, 30% of all hours that I was paying for in this company were not being reported on jobs. <clears throat> and here's the critical thing. It wasn't because people were being bad or being crooked, right? There was a lot of jobs where I was cleaning out a sprayer. I was driving from job site to job site. I didn't know where those hours went, so I just didn't record them. It wasn't people stealing hours or things like that. So then that leads you to having an employee manual and a standard operating procedure for actually accounting for those hours. We brought that up to now. We have less than half of 1% of all hours kind of go like, you know, missing here and there. And when we work, you know, seven to 800 hours per week, you're going to have a little bit of that. There's always going to be a little slush time here or there, but that is super accurate. So sometimes uh, if the, if the job costing doesn't match the money in your pocket, sometimes you got to go back and make sure you're actually recording those hours accurately. So Burden plus 25% of wages. You got to get that uh, burden in there. Uh, if you're not accounting for that at least 25% extra, the cost of that labor, your job costing is going to be way off. You got to review by project. And I would argue uh, you got to review per week and see aggregated pattern results. Now, it gets even better when you start going by month, by quarter, by year, but you can't wait that long, folks. You should be looking at every single job, right? Make changes ASAP. You got to be pattern detection. You don't want to wait for two quarters in before you say, hey, we should uh, we should change this paint or we should train my people to be more efficient or we should change the cost of this thing. Here's the most important thing, folks. Even if you're not a spreadsheet person, even if not, you're not a math person, even if you don't have any of this other stuff in place, like the, you know, the job descriptions, the things like that, just start, just do it. You're going to learn and route. It took me years to get this process down. Uh, every time we did job costing really well, it pointed out some other Porsche, uh, part of the company that we had to improve or do something like that. So people just start, just do it. Who cares? Get some numbers down. You can always go fix them later, but it's better you have numbers than you don't have numbers. Here's my advice for you guys, right? Stop fixating on materials and start getting really interested in labor, especially your own. 99% of our entire industry are single owner operators, right? I don't care what you pay for yourself and job costing doesn't either. Assign yourself 30 bucks an hour, 35 bucks an hour and put it in there and track your hours and figure out if you had to hire somebody else to do this job, you're basically standing in as a placebo for that. If you had to hire somebody else for that job, what would this job have looked like? You got to sign yourself something, whether it's accurate or not. And I would I would argue owner operators, we should, we should be assigning at least $30 of... Uh, of 
of, of wage per hour to ourselves plus a 25% burden here. So, and we'll go through a job costing example. Let's take a look at, uh, oh, Michael Shelton. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Lots of kind words with everybody. Um, I'm going to take this portion of the show right now. We got a monstrous amount of people watching right now. Stop what you're doing. Put down your eggs and bacon, put down your coffee. Uh, I, I, when I do this stuff on Saturday morning, I usually have a kid on my lap, set your kid down, hit share on your phone right now on Instagram, post it to your story. If you can on Facebook, like, and follow, I ask a painter, uh, reshare it in your timeline, uh, post it to a group, something like that. It is honestly the most beneficial thing that you can do for this. We got to attract more people like the Brandons, like the Olive Holdings, like the Gutierrez paintings, like the Derek Anslums of the world, all these people watching right now. We got to get more people involved and we got to get more people involved with the PCA. This is a great way to do it. So please share, 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 share. Just get it out there, folks. All right. By far the most important and essential item every company should be doing, but not so many are. My favorite topic. Yeah. So this is one of those things I struggle with, which is like, this is the piece of advice that nobody wants to hear. They're like, Nick, give me one piece of advice. Give one piece of advice for a company starting off. I'd say freaking job cost. And they'll be like, wow, that sounds stupid, actually, and boring. And I'm not a spreadsheet guy and I don't want to do it. So I'm going to find an app. I'm going to hire it out. Stop it. You need to do this. You need to do this. Now, you can have other people input the numbers, but you need to hold them accountable. You need to verify. And you actually need to do something with this information. If you have job costing in your company and you don't look at it daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, and make decisions based on it, it's useless. doesn't matter how accurate it is. This is the thing that will start tracking. Like last year, here's, here's an example of something I found in pattern detection. For the first time in the 15-year history of my company, the price of materials uh, as a percentage of our revenue got too high. We weren't hitting our budgets of 13%. It was actually creeping above 15%, sometimes even 17, 18%. And we did some data collection and some research and we found out that we got three price increases over the last 18 months. We didn't find this out. We knew that, right? But we've always just absorbed naturally with price increases and things like that, and more efficiency, these um, price increases of materials. But the price increases of materials outstripped the price of the increases of our jobs by just a couple percent in the last 18 months. So what we did, we attacked it on two fronts. I renegotiated with all my material suppliers. We found other suppliers to then have competition for that stuff. Uh, and then we also did an intentional price increase to attack it in both things. And we're already seeing those, those lines converge back again here. So uh, Jesse Allen, how's it going, my friend? It's all about labor burden. Fix your labor costs through the SOPs and training. It's the biggest barrier. Yes, absolutely. You got it. Uh, when I work on a brush, I pay myself an hourly wage and it goes against my GP where it should. How do you do your own salary outside of GP on the same payroll system? So, all right, here's the deal. This is not payroll. This is not accounting. This is not tax accounting. You can do whatever the hell you want in job costing. This is a managerial. This is an internal thing to track your variable costs. This is completely separate. I, I pay myself. I don't pay myself. I, I allocate $30 of revenue per hour if I paint on a project. That is completely separate from my owner's job description where I have a salary, right? And my salary is taken out in overhead. My painting costs are taken out above gross profit in variable costs. So two separate things like that. 
Tony Esposito. I always did a, a job. I printed off the invoice, wrote the numbers on material labor. My fixed rate profit was never percentages. I always did manual since watching and changing a lot of things. Love, love, love that. Okay. Let me just make sure we're not running into... Man, thanks for everybody watching today. There's a ton of people here. You guys must love some job costing or I sold it really well. So, all right, keep those questions coming in, folks. And we're going to actually go through a job costing example here. I'm going to show you uh, some of the ways we can mess with this stuff. So let's get a job costing example in there. Do, 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 do. I want a big version of this. So how about I'm going to move this around. I am going to zoom out. Yeah, here we go. And let's see if I can do one of these. Boom. Got it. Okay. All right. So let's just put some numbers in here and I'll show you initially what we can do. Uh, <clears throat> these are things that I mess around with right away. Let's just say if we don't hit the gross profit that we want, right? So this is the actual template that I'm going to send you guys. Let's just call this job the Slavic job. Uh, Andy, the beloved estimator, Andy was our estimator. The beloved project manager, Holly was our project manager. We did not get a call back the revenue. Let's call it 6,700 bucks. That is the average job size for us. The last quarter here, you can see I auto, uh, calculate a budget for you guys on this one. Um, I, I waffle between 60, 65, 70, $75 a revenue per hour uh, uh, calculating budgets. But if you guys want to change this here, I'll show you an example. This is auto calculated on every one of these squares right here. If you want to get in here and change it. So let's just say we want to create $75 of revenue on this project. Now you can see that difference. 75.9 hours versus 94.9 hours. That's a big difference, right? That's a lot of extra hours in a job. And uh, now, People will say, well, why don't you make it $200 an hour? Here's the deal, folks. Uh, you also, if these are tied to comp plans, you want people to win. So you can put that budget as high as you want, but you want people, you want people to produce enough revenue and profit for the company, but you also want them to win a little. If you put these budgets so high that they never hit them, they're going to get discouraged and probably leave your company. So, all right, let's go down here. Um, I created drop-down menus for you guys. In my company, we actually have those tied to another tab at the bottom that has material and labor. So when we look up, uh, let's go Sherwin-Williams duration home mat. And in my company, the cost per gallon would automatically pop up here. You guys can put in uh, you know, your own drop-down menus and things. Or if you don't know how to do that stuff, just manually put this stuff in. It's not the end of the world. Let's go with Fiverr. And let's go cost per gallon. Let's go that number right there. Let's also go Benjamin Moore Scuffex satin. Oop, not that. That is not satin. Let's go three gallons of that and let's go that for that. So now we have $356 of materials so far with all this stuff, right? And this is assuming that these include tax, paint care, and everything else. Now, for my company, if we add in a color consult, there's an area down here because that is a cost that goes directly to that job, give or take. But on this one, let's say we're not going to do that. All right, painter, let's say Owen was on the job. That Owen makes 25 bucks an hour. We have Katie who makes 18. So we have a craftsperson and apprentice. Let's, let's just see what happens when we do a 40 and a 40. 
Okay, so this is a one-week job in my company, 80 total hours. What you can see here, we have Owen making 25. We have Katie making 18. And when you look at that, these are the simple wages, the dumb, dumb cost of wages. Now here is the burden. You can see my formula up here. We basically take this cell and times 1.25, give or take, there's the burden. So that is the actual cost of our labor. Now I put a section here for notes too, if you just want to make notes about your job, but let's go see what this turns out to be in job costing. All right. So this is a great project, right? If we charge $6,700, which is the sort of average job size for my company in quarter one so far, that has a budget of 75.9 hours. Uh, they put 80 hours into this job. Uh, so even though they went over the hourly budget, the actual labor, uh, excuse me, uh, do, do, let me make sure I did that right. Yep, 80 hours total. They went over the hourly budget, but material is only 5% of the job if we use that. GP was 62.6, way greater than 45. So this would be an excellent version of a job. We went more than 75, we went more than 45, we went less than 15, we went less than 40. That's really good. Now, <clears throat> let's say that it did not take them 40 hours. This is a highly performing crew. Let's say it took them a week and a half for this job now, 60 hours a piece. Now all of a sudden these numbers change a little bit, right? Our budget is still that. Labor, which should be 40, is now 48%. Materials was 5%. We still hit over uh, our GP number. You want to know why? We went eight points over labor, but we went 10 points under on materials. So really, if we had a good project manager on this job and they saved a bunch of material or didn't waste a bunch, we can still pull off good GP. Our revenue per hour is very low, but our GP is good. See, this is a great example of why I don't necessarily use revenue per hour to calculate the success of a job. It's an interesting data point, but we lost big time on revenue per hour, but technically the job hit 45% GP or better. So that's if it took 60 hours. Now, let's say it took 60 hours, but it took a lot more materials. Let's call it 10 gallons of that and six gallons of that. So now you can see my project managers are in charge of ordering paint. They have a budget of 15% for every job. They actually got 4% under budget on this one here. They saved a ton of materials. Labor still went over and the job lost because even though my project management team made up for it and not wasting materials, labor still didn't hit 40%. So the labor underperformed, the, my project management team overperformed, the net result is still not good. Now, here's the deal. Let's say this is another wrinkle in something like this. Let's say that no matter what, you cannot use less materials than this. Like you have made the most efficient use of materials ever. You can't get lesser price materials, everything else. There's not anything to do here. Let's even say that, oh my God, Owen and Katie are the best team ever. Um, this job should have taken a lot more. And in fact, it, it took less because they were on it. You cannot make it better and they could not have gone any faster. So now how do you make this a good gross profit job? This is the time you mess with price. And this is the answer to the proverbial question, what do you charge for X? But here's the problem. You have to assume that you use the right amount of materials and the right amount of labor and price was the only problem. Typically, that's not the case, right? And Anthony, Kate, I'm going to get to your question here real quick. And you people on Instagram are missing out. We're doing real-time job costing right here. So let's say, okay, I have a feeling I could have maybe charged more for this project. Let's just say the estimator misstepped, right? Let's just start messing with this number. And our goal is to watch this cell right here. 
I'm going to highlight this for you guys, because when we change this revenue number, I want to see this 41.2% get 45% or better. And when we mess with this price, the second it ticks over 45, then we know if we ever have a project like this again, and we know we're good with materials and we know our crews are steady and they're performing well, then we just adjust the price. So let's just call it 7,000. Oh, 43.8%. Let's go 7,300. There we go. Yep, 7,200 bucks instead of 6,700. If we could have charged $500 more, so equals 7,700 divided by that. If we would have charged 7% more, we would hit good GP on a job like that, assuming our materials were perfect, our labor was perfect. Now, what I would do, if you don't hit good GP, here's the things that I would mess with. I wouldn't mess with all those things. I would get your labor first, more efficient and standardized. I would always negotiate with my vendors and I would see if I could charge more for the job. If you could do that, if you could do that, that would be great. So here's the deal. Let's just say, oh my God, I think this is a high demand project. People want it done next week. We're gonna remove a crew from a project, put them there. I think we can get 7,800. I also think that if we train our people, we can get this down to 50 hours a piece based on standard operating procedures and things like that. That's the difference between a world-class company and not. Instead of 45% GP, now you're running at a 56.4. That's 10% more profit in your, prod, in your pod, uh, pocket, every single job, things like that. That's how you think about job costing here. So, all right, let's go through some questions. This is where I love where the questions get nitty gritty here. So in figuring the hours for the job, do you include the time getting materials ready, drive time, launch, and cleanup? All right, so here's the deal. Our labor is painters only. There is no project manager. There's no estimator. There's none of my time in any of these job costing. We're looking at direct labor, painters, and direct materials, paint. In my company, if you pay for a person to drive to that job, that hour needs to be allocated to that job. The thing you want to solve for is slushy hour accounting. If you you're paying for 100 hours and only 70 show up on job costing, you're missing out on 30% of labor. You're going to make bad choices. That labor needs to be allocated to a job if it's in service of a job or allocated to something else in my company, which is like, I, I forget what we call it, but it's a non-job related hours. So if somebody come, if somebody has an hour left of the day and they have to clean out their van or something, we, we don't typically allocate that to a job. But if somebody's cleaning a brush, cleaning a roller, cleaning a sprayer, or if they're being paid to drive to that job site, that hour, those hours are in service of that job. And that job wouldn't happen if you didn't do that. That needs to be allocated to that job. And we do lunch too. Uh, we pay for lunch. And if they're on that job, that gets allocated to the job. The two breaks every day, that gets allocated to the job. If you're being paid and you're on that site, that's allocated to that job. That is not free money coming from the ether. We need to account for that as business owners. So awesome question. Mike LaDuke, my good friend from Australia, uh, formerly Minnesota. How do you calculate your risk if uh, return to job for uh, defect correction? Ooh, does your contract allow for defect liability? All right, so here's the deal. Mike, we have this little square right here, callback or not, like that. And if we were, if we were to produce this job, and this is a crew that was a little sloppy, didn't, didn't complete everything to our standards, and we had to send another crew back. What we would then do is say, okay, so we had to send Errol back. Errol is our big boy. He gets paid 30 bucks an hour, and he had to come back for 20 hours worth of labor. 
all of a sudden, you're looking at this, which is all of a sudden our labor had to shoot up because we had to send somebody back. Turns out we still hit good gross profit, but our labor overshot the mark. And it's not a, it's not a question why we had a callback for defective work. So um, I think somewhere between four and 7% of all of our projects will have some sort of callback on it. And a callback can be, you left, you left a yard sign, you left a, um, a screwdriver. And it sometimes can be, you know, um, you got to drip a paint on my floor, something like that. Like it always happens, right? Uh, um, you can't always, uh, no humans aren't perfect, but four to 7% of our jobs get a callback. And if we have to go back, that labor has to be accounted to that job because that's to bring that up to standard to capture that revenue. So yeah, great, great question. Uh, thanks for everybody watching on, uh, on Instagram as well too. All right. So that, that's a real time example of how I figure out those sort of problems, things like that, but you can mess with those numbers and it can, it can tell you, uh, in a really cool way, uh, what you actually need to charge. So, uh, but there's lots of variables you can mess with, right? All right, let's go back to this advance, advance. Okay. That is it folks. Uh, in my show notes, um, you have, um, uh, my email address on Facebook. I will send you that actual template, uh, to do that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else, uh, PCA expo is next week. Oh yeah. One more thing. Uh, Scott McDowell, I see your question here. Um, right now, everybody do me a, do me a favor, share the show again here, share, 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 please share. I look forward to seeing you guys at Expo. Do me a favor, folks. This is all free. All these templates are free. This is a broadcast radio, public radio model where we get underwriters to pay for it. It's all free to you. The only thing I ask in return is when I send you those templates, I ask you for a couple of reviews on some sites. I ask you to share this show. Let's get it done here. All right, I'm seeing your, um, uh, I see your questions coming through. Scott McDowell, uh, how do you account for variables such as weather with exterior painting in your estimation? Here's the deal. You can account for whatever the hell you want in estimating, right? You can account for markup on materials. You can count, you can mark up uh, time for whatever, but here's the deal. In the end, the market will dictate what you can, what you will charge for your jobs. It's our job then to produce that in the most efficient way possible. So you can, how you come up with the price for something can be calculated any single way that you want. You can take that into account. You can take anything into account. You can take the sickness or the leave of absences of your people in. You can take into account moon phases you want, but here's the deal. I would say drive your price up until you start losing work and have gaps in the schedule. Then you know you've reached the ceiling of that price. After that, who cares what you account there to get that price? That is the highest price you can get. So Scott, not, not, the, most, not the most satisfying answer, but it is the correct answer. So John O'Rourke, this is Google. This is all Google. It's all free to you right now. I'm big on that. This is not a multi-million dollar piece of custom software. This is Google and it's free right now. <laughs> Holly, Holly, we'll see you at the expo uh, next week, I believe. This isn't free. That's it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody watching on Instagram. I appreciate everybody watching on Facebook. Share, share, share. We'll see you at the expo. Uh, I'm a road dog. I'll be traveling. It's going to be great. Watch social media for all that stuff. And of course, email me when you guys want the templates. Um, have a good weekend, folks. It's family time for me now. Have a great week. Can't wait to see you guys in Albuquerque.
Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.